Hello, and welcome to the podcast for the journal Integrated Environmental Assessment and Management, better known as IEAM. I'm Jenny Shaw. The newest issue of IEAM contains an article that defends the established depth of the biologically active zone at a nuclear waste site. Lead author Sarah Lovetang joins us today to talk about the work. Sarah is an ecologist with the Oregon Department of Energy, and she works primarily on issues at the Hanford site, which is a former processing site for plutonium fuel. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for chatting with us. Hi, Jenny. Thanks for um, choosing to feature our article. I also wanted to take a moment to acknowledge my co-authors, Damon Delastrati and Beth Rochette, who are toxicologists with the Washington Department of Ecology. Can you start us off by telling us what exactly is biomobilization? Biomobilization is just the ability of biota to mobilize contaminants of concern, either through ingestion, absorption, or just through displacement, such as um, hydraulic lift if um, you're dealing with plants or even the excavation of a tunnel by rodents. Just to get into a little bit about what Hanford is, it's a very old plutonium production facility, uh, nine different reactors along the Columbia River that were built for the Manhattan Project back in 1943, um, and it became operational in 1944, and then produced weapons-grade plutonium right up until the late 1980s, and is now fully just a big remediation site. One point that I'd like to make is that plants, animals, insects, fungi, they have this amazing capacity to live and thrive in the most extreme conditions. And the other point is that there is an amazing world, this abundance of life under our feet, the the bacteria, the the microorganisms, insects, roots, uh, mycorrhizal, fungi, they're all living their lives under the ground fairly deep and are intruding into barriers, these soil caps that we have on top of hazardous waste sites. And they're uh, unintentionally pulling these contaminants of concern up to the surface and and spreading it around in the way that life does in this unorganized and beautiful way. So just because researchers lay down a soil cap doesn't mean that the biota are really going to pay any attention to it. They're going to keep doing what they do. Right. Yeah. Now, you've mentioned plants a bit, but we're talking about biota in terms of biomobilization. So what role do burrowing animals play in all this? Well, our paper focused on plants because plant roots really go further, deeper into some of these soil sites, the soil caps, uh, than animals seem to go. There's not a lot of research on that. But Um, I do know that there has been some work on burrowing animals, mostly pocket gopher and the pocket mouse. Smallwood and Morrison published a paper in 1997 that explores these burrowing animals at Hanford. And they, they did note that pocket gophers are known to even prefer disturbed soils that are associated with these burial grounds. And they displace a lot of soil, bring it to the surface. They, the, the gophers, the mice, tend to spend a lot of time underground ingesting that contamination, either through grooming and, and through their diet. And then the pocket mice burrow into these abandoned pocket gopher burrows. And then the badgers 
preys on both the pocket gopher and the pocket mice, and, and then um, raptors, birds of prey, also consume these pocket mice and gophers. And you can see that the food chain goes on from there, and there could be bioaccumulation, some uh, accumulation of contaminants in these animals higher up in the food chain. Now, as we're talking about this ecosystem that's pretty in flux with burrowing animal activity and plant root depths that are reaching sometimes in the 20s of feet, we're not even talking about longer term changes like climate change and groundwater depletion. How might you expect plants to adapt to these longer term effects? That's really hard to know, but projections from the University of Washington's Climate Impacts Group indicate that the long-term projection is that average annual precipitation will probably be the same and may even increase slightly, but the average annual temperature will increase. But the, the important thing that they do point out is that the timing of that precipitation will probably shift so that there will be more rain in the winter months and the summers will be even drier. However, that wetter winter will probably favor some of those native plants, especially those native shrubs, bitterbrush and sagebrush. So given your experience at the Hanford site, are you able to provide recommendations for people working on similar types of remediation projects? I would suggest that people work with ecologists who have a real understanding of the successional pathways and the state and transition models for the plant communities in that area. So a soil cap for long-lived contaminants, such as those at Hanford, really have to allow for the inevitable reestablishment of late successional species. In a natural ecosystem, such as the vast majority of the Hanford site, there are these natural disturbances like fire. And whenever this natural disturbance comes through, uh, and even some of these artificial disturbances like bulldozers, the first plants that are going to occupy that site are called early seral species. And they're usually annuals that are kind of weedy, but they can be natives and often are not native. But eventually, the more long-lived plants will come in. Mid-successional species will occupy that area. And then eventually, after 40, 50 years, that site's going to be occupied by the late successional species like long-lived shrubs. Bitterbrush can easily become 100 years old uh, or sagebrush. Both of those have the very deep roots that can go 15 feet below the uh, soil cap. Okay, so with the later successional plants comes the concern of a greater root depth and greater biomobilization? Yes, absolutely. Oh, so that makes sense. Native plants are here to stay, but any institutional controls surrounding those soil caps will probably end up fading away after a hundred or a couple of hundred years. The hope is, um, and the purpose of this paper was to point out that the soil caps that are constructed today should last hundreds of years. Thank you, Sarah, so much for talking with us today. I, I hope that, if nothing else, people listening to this podcast will 
come away with a greater awareness of what exactly is going on just under their feet at places like this. <laughs> Thanks so much for talking to us. Thank you. You've been listening to Sarah Lovetang discuss her article, The Biologically Active Zone in Upland Habitats at the Hanford Site, Washington, USA, Focus on Plant Rooting Depth and Biomobilization. Access the article in the July 2018 issue of IEAM. Just go to ctechjournals.org. I'm Jenny Shaw, and thank you for listening to the IEAM podcast.